Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 27th, 2011. Thinking out loud here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And as a result of it, well, we've got to open up our, our Bibles and take a look to see if what's being said is really what God has revealed in his word or if it's something else. If it's something else, well, then we've got to take it to task. And, uh, and you know, if you follow me on Facebook, I had an interesting discussion today about judging. And uh, and, and here's the gist of it. is is that Scripture tells us that we are to rebuke those who teach false doctrine. That requires you to judge. Um, <laughs> and so the idea here is, is it's so, so many people think that um, the 11th commandment in Scripture is, uh, is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. But you got to read it in context because, you know, in, in John chapter 7, Jesus says to make a right judgment. So the, you know, the question is, does uh, Matthew 7, verse 1 tell us that we can't ever judge and we just got to sit on our hands and go, well, I think that person's teaching false doctrine, but mm, judge not lest you be judged. You, no, 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 no. You can't rebuke somebody who's teaching false doctrine unless you've judged that the doctrine they're teaching is in accord with Scripture. And as a result of it, well, then you got to, you know, <clears throat> rebuke them. And uh, the other thing is, is this, is that uh, when we deal with false teachers, there are two groups of people that you must keep in mind. Must, must, must. Uh, when you're dealing in the situation where you have a teacher in the church uh, teaching false doctrine, there are two groups you have to keep in mind. The, the first group is the false teacher. That would be group number one. And that could be a group of one if you want. The second group are those being influenced or led astray by the false teacher. Now, 
Here's what happens. I mean, and this is exactly the way church history has played out over and over again. When somebody has taught false doctrine, uh, the church has called them to repentance. They've been, you know, they've been their false doctrine has been challenged, biblically rebuked, rebutted, uh, condemned, anathematized, things of that nature. And uh, when that happens, the job of the false teacher is to repent of their false teaching basically retract it, let their followers know that they were wrong, and call their followers to repent and be forgiven for believing false teaching and their false doctrine. That's the right thing to happen. And unfortunately, over and again, what you find is is that when you confront a false teacher with their false doctrine and you say, hey, that's not what the Bible says, their response is, go pound sand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and when the false teacher gives you that response, the go pound sand response, yeah, that's when you must absolutely battle them. Why? Not necessarily for their sake. It'd be nice if they would repent. Uh, but at that point, you're battling, uh, you're battling the false uh, teacher for the sake of the people that they're misleading, for the sake of the people that they are sending to hell. So the idea there is, is that you do that in love and service to the people who are brought under the sway of the false teacher. You, you get what I'm saying? So you got to keep that in mind. So, uh, you know, and uh, if you if you want to come up with a life application, I, I know some of you, uh, you attend churches where that's an important feature in your sermon. I, I get it. I'm not going to take that to task uh, right now. But the, the idea, if you're looking for a good life application to what to do with the information that you hear at Fighting for the Faith, Answer, um, go to your friends who are believing this stuff or neighbors or family members and confront them with the truth. Confront them with the fact they're being taught false doctrine and teach them the truth. Preach to them the biblical gospel and call them to repentance and challenge them to uh, get into a church where they're being taught the truth and, and cared for correctly rather than abused and ravaged by a wolf. That's, that, that's actually a good way to love and serve your neighbor. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now, this is this, this is some stuff I've been preparing, and uh, we're going to spend some time in hour number two uh, listening to a sermon preached by Bill Hybels. Now, I was very tempted, very tempted to uh, have the sermon that I'm going to review uh, uh, by Bill Hybels be the sermon that he preached this past Sunday at Saddleback Church. I've opted not to review that one. If you would like to review it and employ the uh, the good discernment skills that you learn here at Fighting for the Faith, you may do so. You, you can find it at Saddleback.com. It's in their uh, sermon archives for the fall sermon series. And uh, I think the name of the sermon is Just Walk Across the Room. I've opted not to review that one. Although i got to tell you, uh, for at least a day and a half, that was the one I wanted to review. And then I realized, you know, I think I better go with the bigger issue. Then yeah, I think I better go with the bigger issue because, you know, it, there, I mean, as far as sermons go, there's definitely some things wrong there uh, that are worth noting and, and uh, bringing to light. But I've decided instead I'm going to review a sermon uh, that Bill Hybels preached at Robert Morris's church at the beginning of this year mm-hmm. on his uh, book, um, the power of a whisper. Now we've covered the topic before, 
But uh, the thing I like about the sermon, <clears throat> kind of in a bad way, is that uh, it is that the sermon really covers the major themes that you pick up in Bill Hybels' book, at least in the first few chapters. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to challenge a few things. We're going <laughs> to there's a lot of work that's got to be done in that sermon review. And you know, looking at my time here. I, I, I'm tempted to say that hour number one is going to be shorter than an hour and that uh, I'm going to dive into the sermon review just a smidge early. At least that's what I would I would like to do. The problem is, is that every time I say something like that, I end up like going long and then, you know, starting the sermon review late and my timing completely gets off. So, you know, so <laughs> despite all of my good intentions to do such a thing, you know, I, I can't promise that that's the case. I would like to say that that, that may be something worth shooting for. So and just keep that in mind. So, um, you know, because there's there's lots of stuff that I need to bring out regarding this. Lots and lots of stuff uh, to bring out regarding this. So. Um, first hour, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Okay, so I, I, it, <clears throat> for the first hour, for this opening segment here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, there's there's just a couple of things I would like to talk about. One is I would like to do a Patricia King um, update. Uh, Patricia King and Joshua Mills. Uh, the, uh, Patricia King recently posted a new video with her kind of talking with Joshua Mills uh you know television interview uh program format style and they're talking about atmospheres um yeah i have no idea what this has to do with anything taught in the scriptures now keep in mind xp media is a, uh that's extreme prophetic media is uh, patricia king's outlet uh, i think they're they're located out there in arizona and that this is supposedly some kind of a Christian television ministry that's online. Um, although, uh, you know, that's, see, that's the thing is, is that uh, the Internet is kind of defined. It, it, it's created new categories, uh, whereas a television show, rather than being delivered on the television, is delivered over the Internet to your computerized device, television show format. And same thing happens, I mean, with radio podcasts and things like that. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of changes things. So, you know, we're going to be looking at um, this interview of Patricia King speaking with Joshua Mills about um, uh, creating the atmosphere of heaven in your life. That's right. And apparently you can carry it and you can release it wherever you go. I mean, who knew? But uh, we're going to take a look at that. I've got a Joel Osteen update. And, and let's just put it this way. is <laughs> uh, Albert Moeller... <laughs> He, on his website, uh, he's he's got a new post that he put up yesterday that says, Does Joel Osteen not know or does he not care? That's the name of the post. So we got a full-blown Joel Osteen update that we're going to get to. And, yeah, see, I keep wanting to do this uh, this one update uh, from uh, Richard Roberts and uh, one other guy uh, on the $1,000, you know, sowing a $1,000 seed. Um, may not get to that today, may not get to that t today. So anyway, so for sure, the two things we're going to discuss today on the program, number one, uh, uh, at least in the first hour, we're going to be listening to uh, Patricia King and Joshua Mills regarding atmospheres of heaven in your life. We're going to listen, uh, we're going to take a look at the Joel Osteen update, probably from there, uh, get, get, uh, into, you know, end the hour, first hour early, and then get into our sermon review of Bill Hybels talking about the power of a whisper, which he preached at Robert Morris's church. And you're going, Robert Morris, why does that name sound familiar? Well, yeah, well, the reason why that name sounds familiar is because Robert Morris is a word faith 
heretic. He believes the word faith heresy, and he's the one who teaches that your money's cursed until you give the very, 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 very absolute first 10% to the church. And if you don't, well, then your money's cursed and, you know, all kinds of havoc will uh, break out in your life. And Rick Warren recently had Robert Morris uh, preaching his money heresy at Saddleback Church. So that's the reason why that is, he, Robert Morris, sounds uh, so familiar. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Like I, like I said, there's a good chance that the uh, the formatting for today's program is just going to be a little bit different uh, in that the segments are going to be timed differently. But I ask that you roll with it because we I got a lot of stuff I really want to unpack on today's program. So with that, let's dive into the program proper. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that can mean only one thing we're going to talk about, Patricia King. And, uh, you know, rather than telling you what this is all about, maybe you should hear some of this for yourself. Uh, here we go. Patricia King and Joshua Mills discussing how to create an atmosphere of heaven in your life and then carry that around and release it everywhere you go. Here we go. Well, hello there and welcome to Everlasting Love. My name's Patricia King, and I'm glad that you've joined us for today's program because I have Joshua Mills as a special guest, and we're going to be talking about the subject of atmospheres. So, Joshua, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. And we're uh, going to feature your book, Atmospheres. And what is an atmosphere? Tell our viewers, what do we mean when we're talking about atmosphere and how do atmospheres affect us? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Patricia. And I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah, uh, having read the Bible through at least more than once, um, <clears throat> um, I don't ever recall there being a doctrine of atmospheres. Uh, you know, I looked long and hard through the Lutheran confessions this morning in preparation for the program. Didn't find anything in the Lutheran confessions about, well, atmospheres. Um, I even consulted uh, my Reformed systematic theology written by Burkhoff. Yes, I actually own one of those, too. And uh, when I went into the index, couldn't find anything about the doctrine of atmosphere. So, the, so then I, you know, I took a look at Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, and wouldn't you know it, I couldn't find anything about atmospheres. And um, so, um, yeah, this is kind of a problem. Um is do you think it's possible? Let I me mean, just call this a whim on my part, but uh, you know I'm thinking out loud here that do you think it's possible that Joshua Mills is just making this stuff up? I mean, I you know I I understand I don't want to besmirch his good name, and of course he's a well-respected Bible teacher in the Christian Church, but um, hmm, you know already you know just doing my preliminary work, yeah, I couldn't find anything um, in any notable systematic theology in my Bible or anything regarding atmosphere. So I'm leaning towards the possibility that Joshua Mills, well, that he's not telling the truth, no matter what it is that's about to come out of his mouth. Atmosphere is a climate, it's a temperature, it's the way that you feel, it's something that you sense. And, you know, you're going to remember the atmosphere of my presence long after you ever remember what I ever say to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing when I think about different people that I've met throughout my life. Oftentimes I can't remember conversations that we've had, but I can always remember the way that I feel in their presence. 
Wow. I can always remember the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can always remember the atmosphere. Okay. It, does that have something to do with the strength of the cologne that you're wearing or maybe the lack of bathing for a couple of days and the odor emanating from yourself? I mean, what are you talking about exactly? People remember atmospheres. You remember an atmosphere. You remember the atmosphere of your childhood. You remember the atmosphere of your, your school life. You remember the atmosphere of raising children and the way that you felt. And in this day, we have the ability to create an atmosphere of God's glory in mm -hmm. our spheres of influence to release that sense of God's presence in the lives of those that are around us. And you mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, uh, do you have any Bible verses that say anything even remotely close to that, Joshua? I mean, again, I you know I don't want to you know just flat out accuse you of lying here, but I again I'm I'm you know I I'm not somebody who is biblically illiterate. You know I I do know a thing or two about the Bible. And uh, and I just don't recall any of this being taught anywhere about creating an atmosphere, heavenly glory, uh, anything of the sort. Uh, again, so is is that maybe the reason why you didn't start with the Bible on this? You can always feel the atmosphere of the presence of God when always. He manifests. And always. Jesus said to pray in this way: Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Which means, yeah, that doesn't mean anything about atmospheres. We should be able to, as believers, call forth the atmosphere of heaven, the atmosphere of glory into our midst. Right. Mm, so that's what that means. So uh, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that you can whistle for the glory in heaven to create an atmosphere in your midst. Yeah. Um, do you got any Bible scholars who agree with you on that one, Patricia? Because uh, that I've never heard that interpretation from any reputable Bible scholar that I'm aware of. Absolutely. In the upper room, in the second chapter of Acts, when we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers that were gathered there together in unity, the atmosphere of heaven was released and they felt a mighty rushing wind. They, they heard what, what sounded like this mighty rushing wind and they received tongues of fire. Mm -hmm. They came upon them and with that atmosphere came the divine enablement. Uh-huh, and then... Mm -hmm. And do you have... Can you tell me of the Greek word for atmosphere? Um, and can you point it to me, uh, point it out to me in Acts chapter 2, the Greek, Koine Greek word for atmosphere? I, I'd like to see that one. That atmosphere that was in the upper room, when they left it, it actually spread into the city. It and did. was such a heavy atmosphere that in it was the conviction and the faith for people to be born again. There was thousands added to the church. It, yeah, I see, again, maybe it's just because I'm doing this from memory. But as I recall, in Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers that are in the upper room they begin to speak in other languages and people outside then hear the gospel and the glory of god preached in their own languages and then peter stands up and he gives one zinger of a sermon and it had nothing to do with atmospheres. It was because he preached Christ and him crucified for their sins and called them to repent and be forgiven because of Christ. Um, nothing about the, an atmosphere. It was about his preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You familiar with Romans chapter 10, by the way? 
begin to infiltrate <laughs> the streets and the community and Wow. And, yeah, absolutely amazing. I remember Joshua in the um, outpouring of the Spirit in 1994 out of Toronto. Is we uh, <laughs> Oh, great. Now we're, we've switched gears to the Toronto Blessing. So please fill us in on what was the atmosphere like at the Toronto Blessing, also known as the Holy Laughter Movement, which was just a complete laughing stock uh, mockery. Um, not by the Holy Spirit, but by other spirits. We went in into the building and we were worshiping, and there was a tremendous atmosphere of the presence of the Lord. I mean, almost. I mean, you had to be dead not to feel it. You know, it was right. like so tangible. In fact, even outside the building, you could feel it. In the in the hotels, you could feel His presence. Right. And um, but when we we left Toronto and went back to where we were going, it would break out where we were. I remember being in Toronto one time, uh, soon after the renewal spread, and then from there I went to Albania that had just opened up. Oh, right. It had been in 50 years of cruel dictatorship, and I mean, it was a very oppressed nation. But when we went there, they had never heard about Toronto, never seen any television programs about it, but the atmosphere of the glory of the Lord that was in Toronto actually spilled out in the nation of Albania in the same way God manifests in Toronto. Right. It was phenomenal. It's amazing. The atmosphere of God's glory contains an impartation that will absolutely revolutionize every area of your life. Mm -hmm. So the atmosphere contains an impartation that will revolutionize. Um. Yeah. What does that mean again? Where, where do you where did you find that out from? Did you do you have any Bible passages that bear this out? And you can carry that atmosphere and impart it into the places that you go. Okay. So okay. So the the atmosphere carries an impartation that revolutionized that you can carry and then also impart. Um. What do you carry the atmosphere in? Do you do you get one of those like? plexiglass spherical you know tubes you know and and so you know, if you you know if you're at the Toronto the next Toronto outpouring you you grab one of these huge plexiglass tubes and do you bottle up the atmosphere and then release it i mean how how do you carry it maybe do, does it fold up nicely and fit in your wallet i remember one morning um i i'd gotten up early and gone into my prayer room and spent my, you know, morning time with the Lord. And I had some worship music on in there and I was soaking and, you know, just talking to the Lord. And <laughs> You were soaking. Don't you do that in the bathtub? So were you praying in a bathtub, soaking in, a, in an atmosphere? Yeah. It's like I didn't realize that, you know, because gradually the weight of the glory filled the room. So it actually... The, the weight of it. So apparently the glory atmosphere weighs a particular amount and then it gets heavier. Very tangibly changed the atmosphere. But right. because it was so gradual, over the time I was in there, over a couple of hours, I didn't notice how much weight there sure. was until I left the room. Huh. So I left the room, went out and got myself a cup of coffee after I'd been in there for a couple of hours. And I came back in and I just about fell over. It was just like you could... It was so heavy and nearly knocked her right over actually feel the difference between being outside the prayer room and inside the prayer room right. when i walked through it was right. like coming through a threshold of the atmosphere of glory right it's, it's absolutely amazing. amazing how god gives us the ability to you know through prayer through praise through worship to create these atmospheres even through studying the word oftentimes so we have the ability to create these atmospheres again you know just you know, <laughs> 
Do you have any Bible passages that say, uh, thus saith the Lord, you can create an atmosphere of heaven by doing X, Y, or Z? I, you know, I don't recall there being any passages that say that you can create an atmosphere by doing anything. Um, you know, um, I, I think you guys aren't telling the truth. It's, yeah, yeah, it smells to me like you're selling something. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Joshua Mills's latest book. Yeah, okay. I'll find myself reading the scriptures, and I begin to sense that atmosphere. If I'm reading scriptures about miracles, I begin to sense a miracle atmosphere. If I'm reading scriptures about healing, I sense the healing atmosphere. If I'm reading scriptures about divine prosperity, right. I feel that that wealth that, that richness of heaven being released into my atmosphere mm, so you can you can create a wealth prosperity atmosphere i didn't i see i didn't even know that atmospheres came in such varieties i mean you I mean <laughs> call me silly but you know if they had if they had left this up to me to you know concoct it i would have thought you know maybe atmospheres come in orange blue yellow and green um, but no, 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 no. They come in. They come in prosperity. They come in abundance. They, yeah. These are all the, these are all the different flavors of atmospheres that you can create. And and I'm sure somebody watching this is going, oh, oh, oh. I've got to I got to figure out how to make me one of those prosperity atmospheres because I sure could use some of that. God loves to confirm His word. He I, loves it. I find that also. But yeah. Um. When are you going to crack open God's word and start showing us from the clear teaching of Scripture that any of this atmosphere talk is for real? You know, it's actually biblical. You say, yeah, God likes to confirm His word. Um. Yeah, I'd like you to actually show me any of this from His word so that it can be confirmed. You know, whatever you focus on, He empowers. Right. And his presence comes. I know that in our glory schools, a lot of times during worship, you can just sense because as you're worshiping the Lord, you know, you can look for the weight of his presence. And um, sometimes I'll, I'll just say, let's. So you're looking for a weight of his presence. Okay. Um, so I can see a weight of his presence that's invisible. Whereas before, when you were soaking, you felt it. So now I can look for it. Okay. Knowledge is presence. How many of you in the room are feeling like a weight on you? Right. And when they acknowledge it, um, it, it thickens. It gets stronger. And I'll oftentimes... Like a soup, you know. Yeah, okay. Say, okay, why don't we, we just move the next step? In this acknowledgement, take another step forward. Even get out of your, your seats and come forward. If you right. want a greater weight... Of that heavenly atmosphere right and so they'll come forward to the front and I say are you ready for another wave and they'll all say of course yes and I say okay let's just receive that and you can tangibly sometimes feel like a wave right. of the atmosphere of God's glory coming in and people will fall yeah um hmm yeah I, I'm not believing any of this down sometimes under the power they'll bow over because the weight of that atmosphere is so so apparently your your experiences decide what's true not God's word because none of this is taught in the word heavy on them but right. we created it through our focus right exactly and I remember being in some meetings with you when you were doing that specifically over in uh, the United Kingdom right. I remember being there with you and you begin to ask people to focus on the Holy Spirit coming right. on them. And there must have been at least a hundred or more people that were right. healed that evening because they began to focus on God's work right. in their life. It's amazing. It was just an atmosphere of his presence. Yes. And Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He said, you know, really, 
Yeah, again, where, where is any of this taught in clear, unambiguous language in the Bible? So Jesus talked about creating atmospheres. Can't wait to hear this. No, God's presence was there to heal. Right. He said that the presence of, of the Lord was there. Oh, man. <laughs> in Luke 5, he said mm -hmm. that the presence of the Lord was there with the power to heal. As he was teaching, as he was speaking words that were spirit and life. And I think that's the connection right there. It's releasing the spirit and the life of God into our situations, into our homes. Would you mind if I just spend a little bit of time taking a look at that Luke 5 passage in context to see if it talks about anything about releasing atmospheres or what it is that they're even talking about? Yeah, let me pull this up in my uh, computerized Bible, Luke chapter 5. I think this is, yeah, here it is. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. If you have your Bible and you want to take a look. Here, <clears throat> this is ridiculous. So on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And here's what all it says. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. It doesn't say the presence. It says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And the uh, the Greek word there is dunamis. And, and, you know, it, it can mean power. It can mean authority. It can mean strength. It doesn't mean presence. So the power of the Lord was with Jesus for him to heal the sick. Yeah, um, I don't think they're using this passage correctly, uh, like at all, and nor does it say anything there about our ability to create atmospheres. They just kind of referenced it out of context and yeah, got on to the next thing rather quickly there. Uh huh. Into our workplaces, right. into the the places that we go, releasing God's spirit and life because it creates an atmosphere. And I think it's really important for our viewers to know also. It's like yes, we don't have to be in a conference or in a church. We can create an atmosphere in our home, in our workplace, on the streets. Right. You know, we can usher the glory of God into streets. Right. You know, where there is, is darkness and chaos. We can bring the atmosphere of heaven. You know, um, sometimes... Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to just stop right there because I, I think we've sufficiently demonstrated that none of this is taught in the Bible. Um, Patricia King and Joshua Mills are not Bible teachers. They're not teaching what's in the scriptures. They're teaching their own dreams, their own visions, their own experiences, their own concocted theology. And as a result of it, uh, well, they're taking advantage and deceiving a lot of people. I'm sure making a fine living doing so. But they're not pointing us to what scripture points us to. Because when you read scripture in context... Uh, particularly Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 was not written to tell us about the ability to create atmospheres. Luke chapter 5 was written as, well, to tell us about Jesus and the things that he did and the things that he taught and the things that he did for us. And uh, Jesus, always in these uh, types of videos and these types of teachings, Jesus, well, disappears, whoosh, gets you know, brushed off the table, is off the radar. You don't hear about what Jesus said, taught, or did. Instead, you hear them waxing eloquently uh, 
about their own ideas and concepts. But again, I assure you, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 was not written to tell us anything about creating atmospheres. It was there to tell us about Jesus. See, all the scriptures is really about, they're all about Jesus. Jesus himself makes that point on the road to Emmaus. The scriptures are about him. And that's what's missing here. So many times it's not the thing that you hear that's the problem. It's the thing that you don't hear. Yeah, see, because while they're sitting here waxing eloquent about atmospheres and creating different flavors of atmosphere, including the prosperity atmosphere, which the Bible tells us nothing about, um, what they're not telling us about is Jesus. They're not telling us about what God's Word says and teaches. No, they're just making up their own stuff, rolling their own theology and smoking it. Sad. Pray for them. All right. We are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing The Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, The Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of The Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Right, we're back. Warning, don't be distracted by bright, shiny stories with words that don't make any sense, like, we can revolutionize your life by unpacking a, an atmosphere for you. And just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing this important radio outreach to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 all right you know to, to change things up a little bit here we got some brand new joel osteen music here uh, for uh, introducing a joel osteen segment here we go Feeling lonely, sad as I can be. All by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. That's right, my shiny teeth and me. Uh, I think that's <laughs> yeah, that's some great music for a Joel Osteen update. Yeah, I had to mix it up. We were doing the Good Ship Lollipop there for a little while. Anyway, um, <clears throat> from the uh, the Albert Muller dot uh, com website, uh, the headline reads. Does Joel Osteen not know, or does he not care? Um, yeah, so uh, anyway, uh, here, the, this is what he's responding to. This is from a, um, I think, a Washington Post video. Uh, no, sorry, Washington Times. Uh, here, Here's Joel Osteen talking about Mormonism. Well, I believe that they are Christians. I don't know if it's the purest form of Christianity like I grew up grew up with, but you know what, I know Mormons, I hear Mitt Romney, and I've never met him, but I hear him say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, he believe he's my Savior. You know, that's, the, that's one of the core issues. I'm sure there are other issues that we don't agree on, but you know, I, you know, I can say the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics don't all agree on everything, so that's, that would be my take on it. <laughs> yeah, well, see, here's the deal, is that uh, the Baptists, the Methodists, and the um, Catholics actually all 
kind of hold to the same theology that Jesus Christ is God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity. Um, whereas the Mormons don't. So um, we got a problem here. But I'm going to let uh, Albert Muller <clears throat> uh, do the correcting. So uh, Albert Muller writes, he says, here we go again. Joel Osteen is in the news once again, and this time for saying that Mormonism is just another form of Christianity. Osteen is pastor of America's largest church, as the media repeat over and over, and was speaking to the Washington Times in an interview that covered a variety of issues. It was the quintessential Joel Osteen on display. Uh, uh, speaking to the newspaper on Monday, Osteen said, quote, I see faith in America at an all-time high. His comments uh, came just as a major research project detailed a significant loss of vitality in America's Christian congregations. That loss of vitality can be traced, among other things, to a loss of theological and biblical conviction. Joel, of course, is proof positive that you can build a crowd without building a church. He's not inclined to deal in much theological conviction. <laughs> In the interview, he distilled his message in these words, quote, Part of our core message is that seasons change, and when you believe, if you don't get bitter and you don't get discouraged, you may not change overnight, but you can get peace. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> he also told the newspaper, people need to be... People need to be reminded that every day is a gift from God and bloom where you're planted and be happy where you are and to make the, that choice to get up every day and be grateful. <laughs> that message includes some truth, of course, but it is even come close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hell will be filled with people who bloomed where they were planted. Now, on Mormonism, Joel said, quote, I believe that Mormons are Christians. I don't know if it's the purest form of Christianity like I grew up with, but you know, <laughs> hang on a second, like he grew up with. He, he grew up in the word faith heresy, so he, he didn't grow up in the purest form of Christianity. He grew up in an apostate uh, cheap knockoff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> like I grew up with, but, but you know, you know what? I know Mormons. I hear Mitt Romney and I, I never met him, but I, but I hear him say, I believe Jesus is the son of God and I believe he's my savior. And that's one of the core issues. I'm sure that <laughs> there are other issues that we don't agree on, but you know, I, I can't, I can say that Baptists and Methodists and Catholics don't all agree on everything. So that would be my take on it. Osti just stated that his belief that Mormons are Christians and that he had then expressed the thought that Mormonism might not be the purest form of Christianity like I grew up with. But he affirmed Mormon, uh, Mormon statements that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is a Savior. Evaluating Osteen's boyhood understanding of Christianity would be a project unto itself given the shifting theology of his preacher father and uh, the late John Osteen. The main point of concern in Joel's uh, latest comment is the lack of any biblical standard of judgment and the total abdication of theological responsibility. He relegates doctrinal disagreements between Christians and Mormons to the status of theological debates between Protestant denominations and then includes Roman Catholicism. There are plenty of issues there, and the issues are not the same when comparing Baptists to Methodists. On the one hand, the Protestants and Roman Catholics on the other, comparing any form of Trinitarian orthodoxy with Mormonism is another class of question well altogether. Joel reminded the paper's staff that he's never attended seminary, and this 
This is true, of course, but there are thousands of preachers who never had the opportunity to attend seminary who have a sufficient grasp of and commitment to biblical truth and would prevent such carelessness. By now, it's clear that Joel Osteen's carelessness is deliberate and calculated. This is not the first time he has encountered the question of Mormonism back in 2007. He told Chris Wallace of Fox News that Mormons are indeed Christians. Here's what he said, quote, Well, in my mind they are. Mitt Romney has said that he believes in Christ as the Savior, and that's what I believe. So, you, you know, I'm not the one to judge the little details of it. So, so I believe they are. <clears throat> the, the little details of it? Mormonism does not differ from historic biblical Christianity and only the little details. And a faithful Mormon would be the first to point this out. Mormonism begins with a plurality of gods, not with the monotheism of the Bible. Jesus Christ is an exalted man, not the incarnate word. The list of categorical doctrinal differences continues throughout the entire belief system. The very essence of Mormonism is the claim that historic Christianity is in fundamental error and that true Christianity did not exist on earth from the time of the apostles until Joseph Smith. Mormonism can hardly be charged with hiding their movement's teaching. The Book of Mormon and the other fundamental texts of the Latter-day Saints are published in plain sight. In a remarkable exchange with Chris Wallace, Osteen muddied the waters further. Wallace said, So, for instance, when people start talking about Joseph Smith, the founder of the church, and the golden tablets in upstate New York, and God assumes the shape of a man, do you not get hung up on those theological issues? <clears throat> Osteen, well, I probably don't get hung up in them because I haven't really studied them or thought about them. And, you know, I just try to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. Here we find a fundamental dilemma. When Joel Osteen hears a summary of Mormon belief that mentions God assuming the shape of a man, does he lack the theological discernment to hear how that differs from biblical Christianity, or does it not concern him? In other words, does Joel not know, or does Joel not care? In the end, we have to conclude that he does not care enough to know, and that is the greater tragedy for a Christian minister. He doesn't get hung up on the doctrinal issues, nor has he really studied them or thought about them. His own words indict him. Evangelical Christians are going to face many questions in this season, and the question of Mormonism is now front and center. It will call upon all of us to do what Joel Osteen proudly has not done, to study and to think about these issues. In this political moment, we will have to think carefully and act judiciously without confusing the theological questions. We will need the full wealth of Christian conviction. We will also need deep doctrinal discernment mixed with urgent spiritual concern. The Latter-day Saints include some of the most wonderful and kind people we will ever meet. They put a great emphasis on character and on the moral values of our common concern. They talk freely and passionately about their own beliefs, including their beliefs concerning Jesus Christ. Furthermore, they put action behind their commitment, sending their young people on mission and fueling a worldwide movement that remains one of the fastest growing on the planet. But their beliefs concerning Jesus Christ are not those of historic Christianity, and their understanding of salvation differs radically from the message of the New Testament. It is the responsibility of every Christian, and most certainly every Christian minister, to know this. 
Uh, Joel Osteen told the Washington Times that he is constantly, quote, looking for new ways to influence the culture. Our culture admires those with low theological commitment and high emphasis on attitude. In Joel Osteen's case, it is the secular culture that has influenced the minister and not the minister that is influencing the culture. Great piece, Dr. Muller. Brilliant as always and right on target. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. we got a kind of a long sermon review, so make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers, adult beverage if you want, bendy straws, duct tape, uh, all that kind of stuff. Knee pads will help, too. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. This is going to take up uh, pretty much the uh, long time. Sorry, i, I got to do this. I'm circling back around and uh, challenging a fundamental thing. Uh, in um, Bill Hybels' theology. We're going to ask some tough questions this hour, so make yourself at home, get comfortable, here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Robert Morris's church, the Gateway Church down there in Texas. 
Now, the sermon's not preached by Robert Morris. Um, no, it's uh, preached by Bill Hybels. The, the name of the sermon, by the way, there Gateway Church is in South Lake, Texas. The name of the sermon is The Power of a Whisper. Power of a Whisper. And it was preached at the beginning of 2011. So as we're approaching the end of 2011, keep in mind this was preached not quite a year ago, a little less then. But we're gonna we're gonna challenge the fundamental teaching of this sermon based upon the fact that he's preaching it at the church of a pastor who is a word faith heretic. You see, that's the thing. In this sermon, you're going to hear Bill Hybels talking about how God wants to give you promptings. God the Holy Spirit's going to give you promptings that you've got to follow and act on. Now, there's no biblical text that says this. He's going to eisegete a text. Actually, a poem of a text. But then my question is this. If... God the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to Bill Hybels. Why didn't God the Holy Spirit have something to say about Robert Morris and his heresies and his false doctrine? How come God didn't say, don't you go there because that guy teaches the word faith heresy? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, there's some other things that will come up, but uh, like I said, make yourself comfortable. Let me kill the music here. Actually, let's just let it resolve. We're right here at the end. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, just it's wonderful. So, without any further ado, here is Bill Hybels and the power of a whisper. Could talk about anything I wanted to talk about, and uh, I said, "Well, you probably know what I've been talking a lot about lately." And he said, yeah, I do. You've been talking about how God whispers to people. Apparently, he's talked to you about this a little bit. And, and uh, I can't get over this, gang. I can't get over it. John 10, 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice and they heed it. There is this supernatural Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Slow down there. Uh, yeah, there's a verse that says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they heed it. Um, yeah, that's not necessarily talking about the fact that we're supposed to hear directly the voice of Christ. If you want to hear the voice of Jesus, where would you go today? Where would you go? Oh, I know. The biblical text. Because here's the deal. There's only one place, only one place, only one place that I can go and know with certainty that I am hearing and receiving and listening to and paying attention to what Jesus has said. The only place I can go is the Bible. It's the only place that I can go. So if I'm if I want to hear the voice of Jesus, I need to either read the Bible or if I need to hear it audibly, attend a church. 
that faithfully preaches from gospel texts, and so I can hear God's, you know, the voice of Jesus, so to speak. But that's the only place that I can go to right now and know with certainty that I'm hearing the voice of Jesus. Um, Jesus in that passage there in John chapter 10 is not saying that my sheep will hear whispers and promptings. That's not what that text means. Interactivity between the human and the divine that happens through an inaudible voice from the triune God who, who registers a thought in the mind and the heart of people who love him. And when that thought comes into your mind, you go, wait a minute, I don't think I just made that up. I think a, a thought from God was just entered into my mind and heart. And you go, was it really from God? Was it bad sushi last night? Is it, you know, because, and then you turn on the news and you hear of some person who does an axe murder and they say, why'd you do it? And they say, God told me to. And then you hear some crazy person who does some crazy thing and you find out they say, well, God told me to. We had a guy one time at, uh, when we were trying to build a building at Willow and, and uh, he stopped me after a service and he said, God told me we should take the weekend offering and we should buy lottery tickets. Uh, God, uh, there was a time I finished a message and a guy came down and he said, God told me that I'm supposed to move into your house with your family this afternoon. <laughs> and, you know, I, I told him that probably wasn't going to work. But on the, on the way home, I thought what I wish I would have said was, God told me there's going to be an idiot trying to move into your house this afternoon. <laughs> you know, so there's enough cynicism in the water about this God speaking to you thing that some of us have taken this biblical idea of God speaking to people and we have put it in a locked box we have agreed that that's what crazy people claim and do and stuff like that we would like to be put in the normal category so we don't talk about this much. We don't go out on limbs of faith when God plants certain thoughts in our minds because we don't want to be numbered among those kinds of people. I, I'm probably the most logical, strategic person you've ever met. I mean, I, I, I think about feelings. Most people just have them. I think about them. And I'm the least likely person you would know whose life got hijacked by whispers from God. I was in like the second grade and I was, listen, I went to a Christian school. That was a huge advantage. Uh, in, in my view and uh, the teacher's reading a little Bible story and it's about the young Samuel 
when uh, he heard voices in the night and he goes to Eli three times and says, what do you want? And Eli goes, I'm still not talking to you. Next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. You know the story. So that's, he hears another voice and he goes, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God speaks to this young boy, Samuel. And the next morning he tells Eli the message. So my second grade teachers reading this story out of the Bible, the recess bell rings, kids run out, I'm transfixed. I walked timidly up to this teacher and I said, Miss Van Zolen, do you think God still speaks to young boys? Second grade. She goes, why do you ask? And I said, because I think if he did, that'd be about the coolest thing I could imagine. God speaking even to young kids. So she gives me a little note and I put it in my pocket. And when I got home that night, it was a poem. I'm second grade now, normal kid, played baseball. And uh, so I read this poem and I like it so much that I read it over and over and over again. I wasn't really trying to memorize it. I just read it many times before I went to bed, put it away. And the next day at school, she said, did you read that little poem? I said, yeah, I did. In fact, I think I memorized it. She said, well, then say it to me. And I said, oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee first of all. I thought she was going to faint. <laughs> and uh, she puts her hands on my shoulders and she said, Billy, if you will listen for whispers and pay attention to them, I think God's going to bless and use your life. Second grade. It was the single most defining experience of my early spiritual life, if you will. Okay, now I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to point something out. Number one, Hybels is a good storyteller, okay, um, which makes it you know, a little more dangerous to critique him because, I mean, what a nice guy, right? And he's telling a story about when he was seven years old. Now, I want you, I want you to know where this comes from, okay? This, oh, give me Samuel's ear, is just one stanza from a hymn written by a gentleman by the name of James Drummond Burns. It was written in 1856. The name of the hymn is Hushed Was the Evening Hymn. Now, I think if I read to you all of the stanzas, you'd realize, oh, there's a lot more going on here than the give me Samuel's ear part. But that's the only piece of this hymn that's quoted. Let me read it to you. Hushed was the evening hymn. The temple courts were dark. The lamp was burning dim before the sacred ark. When suddenly a voice divine rang through the silence of the shrine. The old man, meek and mild, the priest of Israel slept. His watch the temple child, the little Levite, kept. And what from Eli's sense was sealed, the Lord to Hannah's son revealed. O give me Samuel's ear, the open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee first of all. O give me Samuel's heart, a lowly heart that waits where in thy house thou art, or watches at thy gates. By day and night I, uh, a heart that still moves at the breathing of thy will. 
O give me Samuel's mind, a sweet unmurmuring faith, obedient and resigned to thee in life and death, that I may read with childlike eyes truths that are hidden from the wise. So James Drummond here is not promoting mysticism. He's not. He's basically taking the story of Samuel, and basically the kicker there at the end is reading with childlike eyes God's word, meditating on it, obeying it, and you know, and that's his way of talking about it. But, um, but you see what I'm saying here? This is just one stanza. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, the open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of Thy word. Now, see, notice here at this point, what uh, Bill Hybels is teaching is that God's word, the Bible, is not sufficient for the Christian. That is literally what he's teaching. God's word is not sufficient for the Christian and the Christian life. Instead, God's word, the Bible, must be supplemented with these whispers directly from God prompting and guiding you. Now we got a problem. That wasn't what James Drummond was trying to get at in this passage. That's not what John chapter 10 teaches. And um, now we've got a real problem. So here's the deal. If you're getting words directly from God like Samuel did, then you'd be a prophet just like Samuel was. And this leads to the more important question. That being the case, since Bill Hybels is claiming to have received throughout his entire life whispers from God, especially regarding ministry at Willow Creek and the things that he's been doing there, that makes him a prophet. And so now he has to be tested as if he's a prophet. Either he's a true prophet or he's a false prophet. There is no in-between. But we continue. This idea of whispers, you see. Uh, I didn't get saved in my home church because my home church was screwed up. (laughs) Uh, I was quite proud that I endured it for as long as I did. But I I wound up getting... uh, meeting Christ in a personal way at a camp that I attended. Uh, It was pretty cool. And my salvation experience was God bringing to my mind a verse that I had memorized earlier in my life, not by, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. And that verse came to my mind. I was all alone on the side of a hill, 17 years old, walking back to my cabin. And God, in an unmistakable way, said, Bill, this is true. I love you. You can't earn your way into my family. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according... To my mercy, through Christ, I have saved you if you will humble yourself and receive this as a gift. And he whispered to me on that hillside. And I just said, okay. 
I'll accept this. I'll receive it. And uh, it shifted something inside of me that's never shifted back. Ever. My salvation experience was essentially a whisper. Did you hear that? That's important. His salvation experience was a direct whisper from God. We continue. And, uh, man, I wanted everybody to know about this salvation as a gift concept. Seems so foreign and radical to me. And uh, so, man, I started talking to my friends about it right away. I said, can you believe this deal? I mean, really, understand this. And uh, some people responded, some people didn't. But my life had been put on a scripted track since the time I was a a young boy. My father owned several businesses, was a a monster leader, bigger than life personality, um, adventurer, private pilot, ocean sailor. uh, I mean, just quite quite a man. And from the time I was a young boy, he was saying, you know, Billy, you've got what it takes to run this whole thing, and I'm going to prepare it for you. And so my whole growing up years uh, were all, there was a script that was all going to play out. Uh, in my undergrad first two years at college, uh, my major was economics. My uh, minor was business administration. And so uh, that was all going nicely. Uh, I, high school and college, I worked in the company, enjoyed the benefits of a successful family-owned business. And... Uh, then one day in a, when I switched colleges, I, I heard a professor talk about the beauty and the power and the potential of a local church. And he said, there was once a community of people totally devoted to God. When God urged them out on a limb of faith, they went. When he told them to stop doing something, they stopped it. They were so committed in love to one another. They treated each other like family and they called each other brothers and sisters. And racial walls came down and gender walls came down, socioeconomic walls came down, and there was a thing called biblical community that was so rich and so real that people on the outside wanted in. And this professor kept describing the beauty of what a local church could be. And as I said, I had a terrible church experience growing up, so I wanted nothing to do with it. The business world fit me perfectly. I didn't know a pastor that I liked or respected. I just, okay. And yet, every time this professor talked about what a church could be, if it were led by the Holy Spirit, if all the human garbage got pushed to the side and God's word was revered, people really did follow this stuff and what could God do in a redeemed community where he would be at the center of it one of the reasons I wanted to be here with you is I like this idea of starting the year with God in first place God at the center of your life and center of your church and so but this professor kept kept talking about this in lectures and one day sitting in the back of the class, just not trying to make any trouble. And I get this very distinct sense from God. Uh, I want you to start one of these things. Start one of these churches. 
And I remember just going, oh, no, 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 no. That would be the worst misfit. My personality, my relationship with the church of my youth, my future track with my dad and that company and all that. No, 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 like that. And the thought, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And God would whisper over and over, I want you to start one. I want you to start one. I want you to start one. And eventually it became so clear. And I talked to my wife. We'd only been married a short period of time. And I knew if I walked into my dad's corner office and told him that I was leaving that company, And I knew I had to do it. I had never knowingly disappointed my dad. And I walked into his office and I told him this whole thing. And it went down just as terribly as I thought it would. (laughs) He's like, what? What? In 35 years, I've been building this for you to lead. I know, Dad. It's all appreciated. He said, tell me one more time why you're going to do this. What, one more time? I said, because of a whisper. It's like insanity to him. And uh, I signed all the legal documents to get myself out of the future of the company at his request. And uh, walked away from that whole thing. And, you know, uh, we, were, we started a church in a movie theater, as some of you know. And it didn't go well in the beginning years. And my father had a massive heart attack and died. While Willow was not a success story. You know? And uh, he would fly over in his airplane to Chicago. We grew up in Michigan and I moved to Chicago. And he'd come to a sparsely filled movie theater with a bunch of high school kids thinking we were going to build a church that honored God. He'd be sitting around there looking at this whole thing and just going, really? And, um... Okay, want to remind you all, this sermon is being preached at Robert Morris's church, and Robert Morris is a word of faith heretic. And the subject is getting whispers, direct promptings from God. Why didn't God give him a prompting that went something along the lines of danger, danger? Robert Morris is a word of faith heretic. Don't be teaching at his church. I mean, doesn't the God of the Bible care about sound doctrine? Yeah, we in the movie theater, they'd show horror movies on Saturday night. <laughs> and the janitors knew that we would, 
we wanted to hold church on Sunday morning so they knew that we'd clean up whatever happened on Saturday night so they'd just go home without cleaning it up. And a lot of horror movies were so horrifying that people would vomit all over the floors and then the custodial staff would leave and we'd get the call, my wife and I and those who helped me start the church, you know, 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning and it'd say, bring your bucket, bring the sponges, here we go, we're going to clean up this mess before we hold church. We were in that movie theater for six and a half years and they showed horror movies a good portion of that time. And uh, we'd be crawling around on our hands and knees, cleaning up other people's vomit and sinking financially into a hole we never thought we'd get out of. And I remember many times I'm like, I'm doing this because of a whisper? (laughs) Really? This is insanity. And then in God's timing, for reasons I still don't understand, but just in his timing, in his way, people started coming to faith. And then they started to come to faith by the scores and then by the hundreds. I started baptizing people. And uh, there was just that sweetness that started to happen as Willow began to be used by God. And uh, I remember some nights driving home uh, after a meeting or something. And I would just go, oh, think of what I would have missed if I hadn't followed that whisper. So a few months ago, we had our 35th anniversary as a church. 35 years. And so drove away from those services and uh, what's up man thank God for whispers Um, at about the 15 year mark of Willow I had a uh, very serious kind of meltdown thing happened I, I got you know preaching more than I should have preached and leading more meetings than I should have led and uh, you know my time and stuff got totally out of control and um, I was in a Bible study at the time with some couples and one of the women in the uh, one of the couples pulls me aside after the Bible study and she goes uh, I fear who you're becoming. I'm like, you talking to me? She goes, yeah, I I just fear who you're becoming. I said, what? I don't even know what you're saying. She goes, like, I just see the velocity of your life. Okay, I want to point something else out. He's telling all kinds of stories from his life. And these so-called promptings are making more appearances in this sermon than the actual biblical word of God. And it's being preached as if these are authoritative words from God. So his story has been elevated to the same level as a biblical story. 
Yet, we've only heard one out-of-context verse from John chapter 10, and some kind of reference to the story of Samuel, and a single stanza ripped out of an entire hymn regarding Samuel. So, from the Word of God point of view, we've barely got... We've barely got nothing going on here, word of God, but we sure are hearing a lot about Bill Hybel's life, and it's peppered with, God told me this, or I got a whisper to do that. Huh. I see how you're starting to be with your family. I see how you're starting to be with your friends. And I fear how your life is going to unfold. And I said, well, thanks, you know. And uh, she said, I was praying for you the other night, and God told me to tell you. Don't you love that? God told me to tell you. I'm like, couldn't he have told me? I don't even know what she's going to say. Couldn't he have told me? Did he need to do a bank shot? Is, is that how it had to go down? <laughs> and so she said, God told me to... You know, by the way, uh, Melissa Fisher, Holy Ghost answering machine, she's great for these bank shots. Yeah, if... if God is having a hard time getting a hold of you. Just, you know, contact Melissa Fisher. I'm sure God the Holy Spirit has talked to her about you. Tell you to go see a professional Christian counselor. I said, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I'm just telling you. I said, well, yeah, thank you. And then a week or two later... The confirmation of her words started happening in my spirit where God was like, Bill, you need help. You got to sort some stuff out or you're going to wind up in a padded room somewhere. You know, you really have to face some stuff. And I couldn't get that out of my head. God just kept whispering, go, Bill, go. So I went into a, a Christian counselor's office. Someone of my background and temperament, I kid you not, I, you know. So, uh, snuck through the back, you know, I didn't. So I sit down with this Christian counselor and, they, you know, just the way these guys are freaked me out. And so the, <laughs> sitting there and the guy goes, tell me three times your mother touched your soul. <laughs> I said, what, what does touch your soul mean? And he said, you should know that. And the first thought that came to my mind was, this is going to get expensive. I mean, I don't even know the language this guy's talking. And at X dollars an hour, I mean, this is going to get expensive. And it got very expensive. And it probably saved my ministry. And it probably saved my marriage. It probably saved me my relationship with my kids. Started with a whisper. You know, sometimes when God can't get through to you, for whatever reason, he talks to a friend of yours. And then he whispers to them, and they take a risk. And they say, here's what I think God 
is asking me to say to you. And I've gone back to that woman several times and said, you have no idea how your, the faithfulness, you put a lot on the line when you gave me that challenge. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I went on a sailing trip one time and one of our African-American staff members uh, runs up to me before I'm leaving, just heading out to the parking lot and, uh, to catch the flight or whatever. And he, he stuffs a, a book in my hands. He said, God told me that you should read this book on vacation. I said, I don't read those kinds of books. I don't read anything heavy on vacation. If I'm going sailing, you know, I, no, no, no. And he said, just put it in your bag. So I'm down there on the sailing vacation. The family goes to bed early. I get flashlight out in the cockpit of the sailboat. And I dig in my briefcase. And the first book I get is this book. And it's on racial reconciliation. Oh, there's some light reading for you. On the, you know, family break. You know, a real page turner, right? And uh, so I started reading this book, and I get like 10 or 15 pages into it. I got the strongest sense from God. Call it what you will. I tend to call it promptings or whispers. You got to pay attention to this. You have not wrapped your head around this. You, you don't get it on the racial thing, Bill. You don't get it. And I'm going to help you get it if you'll hang with this book. I read it, and uh, all I can say in a sentence is that it wrecked me. I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm trying to tell my story. I read that book about the... Wow. I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm trying to tell you my story. Oh, you got that right. If you're going to tell me your story, you're definitely not preaching. Because in order to really do Christian preaching, you don't tell your story. You tell Jesus' story. The origin of racism in the United States and ongoing systemic injustice that white people know nothing about. We, we think it got solved in the Civil War. And we're clueless about the, the systemic injustices that, that, that just go on and on and on. And I got wrecked by that book. And I didn't come back and start waving banners. I came back and I started meeting with black pastors and, and uh, scholars and so. And I said, would you, would you just tutor me? What, tell me all the things guys like me don't get. And don't spare my feelings. Just tell me, you know. And uh, so, so I, I spent a year or two just being tutored by people who knew a lot more about this than I did. And then I timidly started preaching about it at Willow. And then I started preaching about it with a little more courage. Uh, we've been on that now for 10 years at Willow. Our racial diversity has gone from, our percentage of racial diversity in our church has gone from 2% to over 20% in the last 10 years in a dominantly white area. And uh, I can't tell you what that's done to our church. 
And that led to uh, greater understandings of uh, Spanish-speaking injustices in that. We have a Spanish-speaking service in our church now with about a 1,000 people in it. We had one of our 12 Christmas Eve services, we had them over the course of a week. One of them was just totally in Spanish. We stood off to the side and watched thousands of people in our auditorium, all Spanish speaking, and cried like a baby off to the side. Wow, this whole evolution of, 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 of racial reconciliation started with a guy who said, God whispered to me to give you this book. What am I saying here? Whispers are precious entrustments. When you hear them, heed them. When you hear them, of course, put them through a quick filter. Is this really from God? Does it, is it consistent with scripture? If you ever get... You know, a prompting to rob a bank. (laughs) It's not from God. Quote me. It's got to be consistent with scripture. It's got to be something you could imagine Jesus doing or saying. And it ought to be something that when you talk to people who love you and love God, you run the idea by them, they give a sense of affirmation about it. Now, that's not always 100%, but the... Sort of the life-altering whispers, I always run by my friends and I go, this is what I think God's talking to me about. What do you think? And I take their counsel seriously. Man, these things are really, really important. I just had my 40th high school reunion. Can you believe it? I walked into this reunion. I was like, who are all these old people? I, I thought I was going to be around my high school friends and their parents came. Part of the reason that I went was because because I had heard through the grapevine that one of my closest friends in high school was coming to this reunion. I hadn't seen him in 40 years. And I kept track of him a little bit and knew that his life had wandered way off the path. Terrible. I don't need to go into details. But I thought, I had this prompting, it was like, if, if you go to that, you might run into Don, and, and uh, if you run into Don, maybe you could speak a word for God, and maybe, I don't know, who knows what would happen, but I had this prompting, go and look for Don. So I'm looking around at all these old people looking for Don, and uh, it, it was apparent he was not there, and so I said to a couple of friends, where's Don? And they said, well, you know what? At the last minute, he decided not to come. I said, well, why would that be? He said, well, you know, it sounded like his, I think he'd been through a couple marriages, and the girl he was living with uh, threw him out. He lost his job, and it was all a bad thing, and he was just too embarrassed to come. And so I'm standing there in the parking lot of this place where we held that reunion, and I get this, this prompting, you know, track him down. Track him down. So I said to some of my classmates, do you have a phone number? Where I could, you know, it's only, like the reunion was done by 9.30 p.m. (laughs) 
slam people's heads around the table, you know, like, <laughs> gotta go pick up my grandkids. I mean, it was a, it was a wild time. And so it's like 9.30, I'm like, all right. So uh, I said, do you have his number? Could I, could I call him? And they're like, actually, the, the girlfriend has the phone and she threw him out. And, and I had this, this prompting, you know, uh, track this guy down. So I said, do you know where, like, where would he have gone? I'm saying this to my classmates. Where would he have gone if his girlfriend threw him out? They're like, how do we know? You know, I'm saying, I'm just asking. And the thought actually came to me, maybe go try to track his girlfriend down. Now, I, I got to remind you all, as, as heart-wrenching and gripping as this story is, this is not found in the Bible, yet it's peppered with so-called whispers that he's received from God. And those whispers are really playing the role of the Word of God preached during this sermon. And again, he's at Word Faith Heretic, Robert Morris's Gateway Church. Why didn't God give him a prompting about Robert Morris's heresy regarding us being speaking spirits? and find out where he went and that kind of thing. And I just went, no, this is getting ridiculous. This is bad sushi. You know, I'm just taking this out. All right. So I said, thanks. Get in my car, drive back home. Two weeks later, I get a phone call that Don ended his life. Just the spiraling defeats finally defeated him. I get this phone call, I'm like, what? Now, I have done all of the grieving about this. I went to his funeral. And I've, I've had to come to peace with God about this whole thing. It was not easy. So I have a kind of a new rule in my head. When it comes to promptings, if any of them are kind of redemptively related, if it's ever a prompting about reaching out to somebody, I'm going to do it. If it's about something else and it seems loony and... I'm going to be extremely careful and put it through all the filters and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, not so much if it's about reaching out to somebody. This is a lesson I'll carry to my grave. Okay, now I'm going to interrupt rudely, and I apologize for that. It's just going to seem like that. But i got to ask the question. Does he ever get any promptings warning him about heretics? Because... Well, the the problems that we're finding with James McDonald regarding his invite of T.D. Jakes to the Elephant Room, um, that's not the first time this has happened. It wasn't James McDonald who first started blurring the lines theologically. It was actually um, Bill Hybels. Back in 2004 is when Bill Hybels originally invited T.D. Jakes, to speak at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And in case you missed it, T.D. Jakes again spoke this year. So 
um, you know, here we are, you know, 2011, you know, so um, T.D. Jakes hasn't spoken once, but twice at Willow Creek. And, you know, to kind of, you know, jolt you into reality here for a second, T.D. Jakes, the modalist, here's uh, here he is announcing on the Willow Creek Leadership Summit page. This is on Willow Creek's website uh, that he's coming. To speak. Here, listen. Greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Bishop T.D. Jakes, the senior pastor of the Potter's House here in Dallas, Texas. And I want to personally invite you to join me at the Leadership Summit, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit, where Pastor Bill Heibel has gathered together many speakers and teachers to challenge you. It's not always about preaching, nor is it always about teaching. It's about great leadership. If you want to take your church to the next level, meet me at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. Be there. We will. God bless you. So that's uh, T.D. Jakes announcing that he's going to be speaking at the uh, Willow Creek Leadership Summit to offer other pastors advice on how to take their churches to the next level. Why would any Christian pastor want to receive advice on how to take their church to the next level from a man who denies the doctrine of the Trinity? Hmm. And, um, yeah, let me give you a little bit more. Here's another video from the uh, highlights from this year's Global Leadership Summit posted at the Willow Creek website. In my opinion... T.D. Jakes is the most gifted communicator of our day. That's Bill Hybels. In his opinion, T.D. Jakes is the most gifted communicator of our day. Mm, Gifted communicator of what? Yeah, he's got great communication skills, but he communicates heresy. Doesn't rightly handle God's word. Doesn't even worship the same God we do. So, so he, here's my question, okay? Bill Hybels, who's got a book out telling us about the power of a whisper and that we need to follow these things, um, he basically, you know, he's made himself into a prophet. You know, uh, everything, you know, it's launching Willow Creek, and when you read his book, you find out having his, uh, you know, uh, uh, training and leading uh, young pastors are all part of the promptings that he's received from God. At least that's what he claims. Uh, you know, the story reads like, a, you know, an autobiography of all of these so-called words of God that he's received via these whispers and promptings. Why didn't God, the Holy Spirit, go, whoa, dude, don't be inviting T.D. Jakes here, man. He doesn't even believe in me. He believes in a false God. Doesn't make any sense. And by the way, like I said, the first time that... Uh, Bill Hybels invited T.D. Jakes to speak at his Christian leadership conference attended by Christian pastors was in 2004, and it really raised a big brouhaha in the church at the time. I remember the fallout from that and how angered and disappointed people were that uh, Bill Hybels would invite T.D. Jakes to speak at the Global Leadership Conference. In fact, the brouhaha that is that you know exploded at the time mirrors very closely the brouhaha raised as a result of James McDonald's invitation of 
T.D. Jakes to the Elephant Room. Of course, if you follow James McDonald's Twitter stream, then you're familiar with the fact that he has lunch with Bill Hybels on a regular basis. Same thing. Same thing. My, my, again, so my question is, how come God, the Holy Spirit, didn't prompt and give a whisper to Bill Hybels regarding the errors, heresies, and dangers of T.D. Jakes? I'm finding it difficult to believe that the uh, source of the promptings that Bill Hybels is receiving is God the Holy Spirit because uh, his actions as a leader of leaders is inconsistent with one who would be receiving promptings from God the Holy Spirit because God the Holy Spirit in his word has made it clear that sound doctrine matters and that heresy damns. Yeah, which reminds me, I mean, if we go back to, uh, you know, just a little bit of history work here. If you remember back to uh, the uh, article I read not too long ago by Todd Wilkin regarding Bible-believing liberals, there's a segment in here that I would like to reread for you. Uh, here's what uh, Todd Wilkin wrote a few years ago. He says, about 10 years ago, G.A. Pritchard wrote a landmark book on the most influential megachurch in America, Willow Creek Community Church. He wrote of the staff and people of Willow Creek, it would not be accurate or fair to depict them as theologically liberal. Liberal Christianity denies central Christian truth claims. However, there is a lack of emphasis on Christian truth at Willow Creek. There is a lack of emphasis on Christian truth at Willow Creek. By the way, that was uh, in uh, Pritchard's book, Willow Creek Seek, uh, Seeker Services Evaluating a New Way of Doing Church, Published by uh, Baker Books, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 1996. That's found on page 276. So one observer pointed out that there is a supreme lack of emphasis on Christian truth at Willow Creek. Now, don't you think that God, the Holy Spirit, would prompt Bill Hybels to take a different approach? And rather than to de-emphasize Christian truth, to emphasize it? But Wilkin goes on to note, he says, nevertheless, in some cases, Willow Creek's lack of emphasis ends up looking a lot like a denial, as in the case of Pastor Nancy Beach. About the time Pritchard was publishing his book, Nancy Beach came, became one of Willow Creek's teaching pastors. How did, you ask, how did Bible-believing Willow Creek end up with a woman pastor? Well, here's how. Willow Creek had women elders since its founding, despite the Bible, biblical contra, you know, basically the Bible says you can't do that. Uh, but in the mid-1990s, a debate began over the inclusion of women at all levels of leadership, and Dr. Gilbert Bilizekian is a founding member of Willow Creek and its resident theologian, and in his 1985 book, Beyond Sex Roles, Bilizekian argued, among other things, that women should be pastors. Bilizekian's method was to highlight the apparent contradictions in Paul's epistles, um, in time, Bill Ezekian's view and his way of reading the Bible won acceptance at Willow Creek, and in January 1996, John Orberg, one of Willow Creek's teaching elders, taught a two-hour class to church ministry leaders in which he said that the staff needed to share the convictions of the church or study until they shared those convictions, and they had one year to do so. The result of that study was a position paper, and that uh, paper is a classic example of how liberals read the Bible. The statement makes clear that the church's belief that when 
The Bible is interpreted comprehensively. It teaches the full equality of men and women in status, giftedness, and opportunity for ministry, despite a few scriptural texts that appear to restrict the full ministry of freedom, uh, ministry freedom of women. Willow Creek affirms the authority of Scripture, but notice how they use Scripture. Paul's epistle only appears to restrict the pastoral office to men. But that appearance disappears when the Bible is apparently interpreted comprehensively. That's just another way of saying, if we disregard the scriptural texts that say women can't be pastors, we discover that they can be pastors. So so here's the deal. Um, Willow Creek has been forging the uh, way and basically opening up the door in evangelicalism and the seeker-driven movement as a whole to ordaining women, despite the biblical prohibition against that. Don't you think that if God the Holy Spirit were giving whispers to Pastor Bill Hybels that he would have said, man, that Bill Ezekian guy is mangling my words. I made it clear that women aren't supposed to be pastors. You need to tell that guy to clean up his act, repent of his false doctrine, and don't listen to a word he said. But God the Holy Spirit never prompted um, Bill Hybels along those lines, did he? Well, if he did, Bible surely didn't listen to them because there's ordained teaching women pastors at Willow Creek. And have they have been since the mid-90s. So, I mean, so here's the deal. Um, he claims he's getting these whispers and promptings from God. That makes him a prophet. But, if, you know, when I'm checking his theological track record, I'm not finding evidence that would lend me to say, oh yeah, he's for sure hearing from God the Holy Spirit. All the evidence is pointing in the opposite direction. There's like no way that he's hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Now, in case you missed this one, back in 2008, okay, uh, one of these special speakers, uh, conference speakers for the annual Willow Creek Youth Leaders Conference Okay, it was called Shift in 2008. Um, one of the uh, one of the featured speakers was Brian McLaren of the Emergent Church, and I want you all to know in 2008, Brian McLaren was already openly attacking the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. Christ's penal substitutionary death on the cross. In his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, he basically made the claim that he believes in such things as Bible-believing, or or what, how did he put it? Um, not Bible-believing Muslims, but, uh, you know, Muslims, uh, followers of Christ in the way of Buddha. I think that was the euphemism used. But, yeah, it was well known at, already at this point that Brian McLaren was a full-blown heretic. I mean, yeah, I mean a guy who was dangerous and yet he was invited to speak at the 2008 Willow Creek Association Student Ministries Conference. Um, yeah, let me remind you of that. Here. Jesus came into this context and against all of these stories, he said, listen, everybody, I want you to stop believing those other stories. That's in part what the word repent means. I want you to think again. This is Brian McLaren speaking at Willow Creek to a jam-packed room full of 
evangelical youth leaders. ...about what's going on here. I want you to have a fresh vision of what's going on in this world. Repent doesn't just mean feel guilty. That's certainly part of it. But repent means something much bigger than that. It means realize that your entire way of seeing things is, is misguided and wrong. You've got to see things from an, in a new perspective, in a new light. He says, there's another story going on here. Now remember, story, another word for story is news. When you listen to the news, you have story. You have stories. News is the story of what's going on. Now, I want to point something out here. This is Brian McLaren. The theme is Everything Must Change. This is shortly after his book, Everything Must Change, came out. And in Everything Must Change, Brian McLaren comes up with his own theory as to why Jesus was hanging dead on the cross. Answer, why was Jesus hanging dead on the cross? Well, because what Jesus was really trying to do was by sacrificing himself to the imperial death machine, um, that uh, it, that his death and self-sacrifice would f- show his disciples the dangers of buying into imperial framing stories. Now, I kid you not. Look it up. If you don't have the book, you know, you might want to look it up online. But, yeah, you get a hold of that. That's, the, that's his theory as to why Jesus was hanging dead on the cross. It was to demonstrate the dangers of buying into imperial framing stories. And he was convinced that once the apostles saw the the utter evil and murderousness of, of the uh, of the imperial death machine that they could no longer buy into imperial framing stories but uh, would buy into the framing story of the kingdom of god that's what he teaches in this book and by the way i've had an opportunity to discuss this theory of his uh with brian mclaren personally at uh, one of the emergent conferences i attended while doing research uh, for the stuff i'm working on Uh, let's just put it this way. McLaren and I had a full-blown conversation about this. And I said, Brian, let me ask you this. You, in your book, Everything Must Change, says that you say that the reason why Jesus was on the cross was to demonstrate the dangers of buying into imperial framing stories. And and that was Jesus's way of convincing them to no longer buy into imperial framing stories, but to buy into the framing story of the kingdom of God. And he said, yes, that's what the book teaches. I said, so what do you do with passages like Isaiah chapter 53 that says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, okay? Obviously quoting passages that describe and teach Jesus' vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross. Kid you not. McLaren looked at me and he said, quote, it all depends on what you mean by the word for. It all depends on what you mean by the word for. So that you know, um, I did ask that question of McLaren prior to the release of his new book. So, um, yeah, it, you know, but um, here's the deal. Only the most theologically obtuse and obstinate uh, refuser to actually do any hard biblical work. By 2008, only the most obstinate, theologically obtuse person would not have, would would have at that point realized that Brian McLaren was, uh, you know, wouldn't have known that he was a heretic. And I guarantee you, in the weeks leading up to McLaren's appearance at Willow Creek, the outcry on the internet was huge. From the time it was announced until after he appeared, 
there were people writing, not not just on blogs. Okay, this was such a big story that even the Baptist press covered it. Basically, people saying, Bill, you don't want this guy, Brian McLaren, to be teaching youth ministers anything. He's a heretic. Did um, Bill Hybels heed any of those warnings? No, not a one. In fact, later that year, in October of 2008, when I attended uh, Willow Creek's uh, Reveal Now conference, in uh, in October of 2008, I was at I was there. I took photographs of the Willow Creek bookstore, and let's just say that their spiritual formation section featured pretty much every single book that Brian McLaren had written up to that point. So not only was Brian McLaren, you know, a featured speaker, but later that same year, his books were prominently featured at. Um, at Willow Creek. Now, I, it's important to note this, that if you wanted right now to purchase a Brian McLaren book from Willow Creek's bookstore, you couldn't do it by walking in. They've since learned, as a result of Brian McLaren's latest couple of books, especially the um, the New Kind of Christianity uh, book that he published, that Brian McLaren probably isn't the safest of people to be selling in their bookstore. And so they've quietly removed uh, Brian McLaren's books uh, from their featured spots that they used to be in in 2008. And you can't get them by walking into the bookstore. But don't worry, they can special order it for you, uh, any of his books for you, or you can purchase them online at the Willow Creek Bookstore. So the Willow Creek Bookstore still sells them on their website, but not on the shelf there at the bookstore. But see, this comes back to my question. Why should I believe that uh, that uh, Bill Hybels is really hearing whispers from God when over and again throughout his history in ministry, we have him doing things like this? Attacking and impugning God's word and denying its teaching regarding women ministers. Attacking, well, basically allowing flat-out heretics to be featured as Christian leaders worth learning from at his, at his conference, including T.D. Jakes and Brian McLaren. Yeah, um, and so here's the deal. Um, based upon Hybels' track record... I wouldn't want my pastor learning how to get whispers like this uh, from God. I'm pretty much convinced Hybels ain't hearing from God. He's hearing from the other team. Because if he was really hearing from God, God would have put the brakes on T.D. Jakes, would have put the kibosh on women uh, ordained pastors, and would have you know, basically barred Brian McLaren from teaching at Willow Creek. Whoever he's hearing whispers from, uh, well, welcomes women pastors, welcomes Brian McLaren, and welcomes T.D. Jakes. If that doesn't sound like the whispers are coming from the other team, then I don't know what does. You get what I'm saying here? So, yeah, I wouldn't want my pastor learning how to receive whispers from his book because I'm convinced that after reading that book, your pastor is going to be hearing whispers all right, but not from God. This is a formula for flat-out disaster, and it subverts God's word. 
It subverts God's word by making it not sufficient for pastors and for teaching. Instead, they've got to be guided by a spirit guide. This is the Holy Spirit turned into New Age spirit guide. And I'm absolutely convinced there's no evidence that Bill Hybels is hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Because if God the Holy Spirit were the one talking to him, there would have been a there would be no ordained women pastors at Willow Creek. Brian McLaren would have never been in, uh, invited, and neither would have T.D. Jakes. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We continue. And again, I've, I've, I've come to peace with this, but it's uh, it, it, it was one of the tougher lessons I've learned. Now I had another high stakes prompting. Uh, earlier this year, I was on a, a trip over to the Middle East. Uh, where we trained pastors, some of you know, in various places around the world. And as I left for this two-week trip, my mother, who had been uh, failing in health, uh, was admitted to the hospital. And a couple of my siblings were like, Bill, you cannot go on this trip. You know, if she dies while well, you're gone, not good. And I visited my mom. I said, Mom, I got this trip. And she's a very strong Christian lady. And she's like, you must go. I mean, I'm fine. And I've made my peace with God. And you must go and all that. So I went on this trip. But I was wrestling with this. Every day I'd get up to teach all day. And I'd go, I should be home, I think. And I'd pray about it. And the whisper I got was, finish the trip. Just trust me on this. Finish the trip. I called her three or four times on the trip. You okay, mom? You like that? She's like, I'm fine. You know, okay. But she was getting worse. My siblings were like, you shouldn't be on the road. And I'm like, and so near the end of that trip, I, was, I prayed every day. You know, God, just, you, I'll drop everything. I'll fly home. You just, you know, give me the word and all that. It's just like, you finish the trip, catch the first flight home. I gave my last talk in Amman, Jordan or someplace like that. Caught a midnight flight. And uh, got back to Chicago, got on a private plane and flew to where she, she was and uh, walked into her room in the last hours of her consciousness. She's like, oh, Billy, I'm so glad you finished your trip. You know, I'm so glad you did that. And then she slipped out of consciousness and died a few days later. High stakes whisper that one was. I trust these things. For the most part, I still get them wrong once in a while, but now it's clear he trusts those more than he trusts God's word. I I, I say that unapologetically because if he truly trusted God's word, he would have no women ministers, and he would have known that Brian McLaren's a heretic, and so is T.D. Jakes. But he trusts the whispers, apparently more so than the written word of God. That is a big problem. Oh, and just a reminder, he's teaching at Robert Morris's church. Robert Morris, the word of faith heretic. I trust these things for the most part. I still get them wrong once in a while. But, you know, these things, these things matter. Uh, maybe one more I'll, I'll tell you about. Because Robert said there's a trap door here when <laughs> I'm watching this clock, and you know, the, the, people think Willow is like a real organized environment. Uh, 
we have a clock about where this clock is. We don't count the seconds. You guys count. Now, he traveled all the way from uh, South Barrington, Illinois, down to South Lake, Texas. And he's barely, I mean, just given just kind of a, a Bible whiff, a you know, Bible sprinkle, and has spent, at this point, 33 minutes talking about himself, his life, and his whispers. Weird behavior for a preacher of God's word, don't you think? Unless, of course, he thinks that his whispers are equivalent to and rise to the standard of God's word. So he would say that he's teaching the word of God here. But how is this any different than the word of God that we get from Patricia King? She's got stories like this too. They're not, you know, hers are a little bit crazier. I mean, Joshua Mills, he's got stories like this too. How is this any different than Patricia King, Joshua Mills, and and uh, Todd Bentley and those folks, Chuck Pierce and Barbie Breathitt or Melissa Fisher? I I don't see a substantive difference at all. I think Bill does a better job of delivering them, and he's very sincere. Very good emotionally uh, engaging delivery here, but it's not the word of God that we're hearing. We're hearing something different. Second. And I don't know why you put your drummer in that thing. I. What did he do that deserves that? <laughs> and I'm worried that's where I'm going to get put if I, you know. So one, one final whisper, and then I'll kind of draw it to an end. But uh, I was going to br- bring the garbage out of my house, put it on the curb one night. I get mid-turn, in, you know, it was cold, and I was going to run back into the house. And uh, I see who I think might be my new neighbor, because the house had been vacant for a couple years, next to me. No one wants to move next to me. And uh, so this guy's bringing his garbage out. I am mid-turn, going to run back in the house. I get this little whisper from God. Just walk across the cul-de-sac and meet your new neighbor. I go, but it's cold, and I can do it tomorrow. And I'm, you know, like, all that. And it's just that kind of, just, I'm not, you know, asking you to achieve world peace tonight. I'm asking you to just walk across the cul-de-sac, shake a hand, that's all. And so this was one of those times where I said, I can do that. So I made the turn the other way. I walked across the cul-de-sac. I said, hey, uh, you my new neighbor? He goes, well, I live here. If you live there, I said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, what's your name? He said, Bill. I said, that's my name. And uh, I said, Bill, I'm freezing. Can we do like the further introductions later? Is it fine by me? And over the next couple weeks, we both happened to kind of bring our garbage out at the same time. We talked to each other a little bit. One night he says, "Uh, hey, what do you do for a living? I said, well, uh, I'm actually a pastor of a church in the area here. And he goes, not the one that gridlocks the traffic and all that. And so I was kind of noncommittal on my answer there. And 
And he says, well, listen, I haven't been to church in my adult life, and I'm never planning on going. So don't worry about inviting me and me saying no and this getting all complicated. This is going to be very easy. The answer is no. I said, that makes it very easy, Bill. Very easy. And I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I own a Chevrolet dealership. I said, Bill, I never buy Chevrolets, ever. I wouldn't be caught dead in a Chevrolet. You'll know I'm dead if I'm in a Chevrolet. He goes, well, that's clear. I was like, all right. So, you know, we got to know each other over the next several years. Rode motorcycles together. He's a boater, and so great guy. Probably four years into our friendship, uh, Easter was coming up, and I had this prompting, you know, invite him to Easter. And he goes, no, he's going to, you know, all this. And uh, he's a big Republican guy, flag waver, puts all stuff out and for elections. And so I, I walk over one time, and I go, uh, hey, Bill, where, where are you going to church on Easter? He goes, no, 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 no. We, we. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, you seem like a, red-blooded American to me, and every red-blooded, patriotic American, you know, goes to church on Easter. He said, no one has ever challenged my patriotism before. I said, well, I am here and now. And he said, well, then I'll come to church. I said, okay, I'm not going to buy a Chevy. I told him, you know, it's not a deal. So I'm doing one of my Easter messages that weekend, and I look out, I actually see him in the crowd. I thought I was going to burst out laughing because I knew the only reason he was there and all that. And uh, some days after that, uh, we're talking out by the curb, and uh, he said, I loved your church. I'm like, really? Really? I'm thinking there's a punchline. He's going to yank my chain or something. And he said, first thing I notice, people all seem normal to me. So I don't know what I had in mind. They just all seemed normal. That was good. He said, the music was fantastic. And he said, the favorite part of the whole thing, I have to admit, was your sermon. I said, I never understood who Jesus was, who he claimed to be, the whole resurrection thing. I never got all that. He said, it made sense to me in ways I'd never really understood before. I loved your sermon. I said, great. Well, that's wonderful. But, I, you know, I didn't want to push him. I thought he'd come the next week. He didn't. I thought he'd come the next week. He didn't. Never came back. So Christmas was coming around. <laughs> So I start my whole, you know, how am I going to do this? And he kind of figures out where I'm going. He goes, are you trying to invite me to Christmas? This is going to be twice in the same year? Sort of. He goes, I'll be happy to come to Christmas. But really? He's like, yeah. And I said, Bill, just a question. You said you really loved our church when you came at Easter. I think you even said that you loved my sermon. I'm not trying to quote you, but I think you said that you love my sermon. How come you never came back? He said, your sermon was so good, it's lasted me all these months. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, that's when I knew why he sold so many Chevrolets, you know, right there in that moment. <laughs> so long story short, every Easter and every Christmas for the next several years, he would come. Every time I'd have, never between holidays. <laughs> and then several Christmas Eves ago, just through one of our normal services where I proclaimed the message that changed my life at 17, I was proclaiming that message that you proclaim here. And he opens up his heart and just gets radically saved in an instant. You just go. And watching this guy grow has been one of the great joys of my life. And just what, three days before Christmas this year. Uh, he, you know, he has his car dealership, and so he, he, we have a cars ministry where we help single moms uh, with cars. He's probably donated 50 cars uh, over the years, uh, and it's just been a great thing. But couple of days before Christmas, he calls, he wanted to donate another vehicle. And I said, Bill, you know, your salvation, just one of the greatest inspirations of my life. And uh, I saw him at Christmas Eve this year. He had a whole row, his family, his extended family, some of, you know, his uh, employees and all that. We sing Silent Night, everybody hugs each other, and here's this guy, you know, hugging everybody, waving, you know. All right, now, you're like, okay, you came a long way to tell a lot of stories. Here's where this gets all about you. You came a long way to tell a lot of stories. You, You didn't go a long way to preach the Bible and God's Word. And now he says, this is where it gets about you? Huh. Talk about an adventure in missing the point. If he had been teaching the scriptures, we would have been hearing all about Jesus. But he's preaching about whispers because God's word isn't sufficient. Instead, we've got to have, uh, we've got to, you know, turn the Holy Spirit into our New Age Spirit Guide. And he makes it all about them, because the whole sermon so far has been about him. Not about Christ, about him. In 2011, God is going to speak to you. He is going to speak to you. He's been speaking to his kids since the beginning of time. He loves you. He's loved you since you sucked air for the first time. He loves you. He'd love to have a bigger place in your life. He'd love for you to have a God-guided life. Mm, Yeah, so you're going to talk about the love of God apart from the cross of Christ. That is problematic. If you're going to talk about the love of God, you need to bring verses that talk about God's love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins, things of that nature. 
Here you're basically saying God loves you and he wants you to have a God-guided life, but apparently you got to do something. You, you know, you need to surrender to these whisper things or something. He'd love to open doors for you that you think can't be opened. He'd love to take you on adventures that you never thought your life could be about. He'd love to whisper to you about the poor or about race. But don't expect him to whisper about heresy and false teachers like Robert Morris. Now notice, again, he's teaching at Robert Morris's church, a word of faith heresy church, telling them that God wants to whisper things into their lives. But if the people in that congregation believe the heresies that Robert Morris teaches, they're not even Christian. Or about greed? Or about other things that wreck this world? Things in this world don't get fixed unless someone gets a whisper from God, steps up and steps out on faith and does something about it. So God is going to be speaking to you this year. My question... Yeah, are you going to call them to repent of their word faith heresy and to trust the biblical gospel? That would be the right place to start with a church like Robert Morris's. question is, will you hear it? Will you heed it? Will you take the risks? And will you let him play it out in that walk by faith and not by sight? If you would just agree right while I'm talking right now, Yep, I want to be that kind of woman. I want to be that kind of man. I want to be someone who hears from God. I want to be someone who heeds whispers. Would you just... Why don't you demonstrate that first by heeding God's word and rightly handling it? Agree right now in your spirit. You're like, I want to be that gal. I want to be that guy. I want my life to unfold in a God-guided, God-whispered way. You will never regret this. But it- so this is kind of like an altar call light. Rather than having an altar call, people coming up and being convicted of their sin and praying for God's forgiveness, um, no, um, just agree in your heart that you want to hear these whispers and have a God-guided life. I've never heard uh, uh, basically a closing, anything even remotely coming close to this. This is a new one. It actually takes a decision. So it take, in order for you to hear whispers, you know, it's like, you know, when you go to a website and, you know, you purchase something from a website and uh, it requires you to put in your email address and your and, and you know, maybe pick a username or password. Um, yeah, and then usually there's a little box that says, if you would like to receive uh, if emailings from us in the future regarding our wonderful products, click here. So God the Holy Spirit works like that. Um, you know, he's sitting there up in heaven just completely powerless, can't talk to you. 
would really like to guide your life, but just can't do it until you click the little box that says, I would like to hear whispers. I would like to receive further emails from God the Holy Spirit so that you click the box and then hit submit. Then God the Holy Spirit can start giving you God-guided guidance, GPS style, uh, via whispers, um, just like Bill Hybels. Where you actually go, that's the kind of person I want to be. Now, in a minute, one of the pastors is going to come up and help you with this decision. I just want to... Yeah, it's a big one, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the old days, uh, the guys who were into decision theology would have people decide things like decide to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. I'm not a big decision theology guy. In fact, I'm not a decision theology guy at all. I think decision theology is Pelagianism, and it's a heresy that's to be rejected. It's not what the scriptures teach. But here, decision theology has taken a new turn. God, the Holy Spirit, is waking, waiting on you to make a decision to receive promptings and whispers from him so that you're, he can guide your life the way your GPS drives, you know, guides your travels uh, while you're in your automobile. I want to close by saying, oh, give me Samuel's ear. An open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee first of all. Blessings, everybody. Yeah, so there you go. Um, the power of a whisper. That was the sermon preached by Bill Hybels at the basically heresy-ridden uh, Gateway Church in uh, South Lake, Texas, uh, where uh, Robert Morris is pastor. Um, it's important to note that uh, shortly after this appearance by Bill Hybels was the appearance of by Creflo Dollar at the same church. <clears throat> this, of course, is the same church pastored by the gentleman who says, your money's cursed until you give the absolute very, 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 very first 10% to the church. You do, you have to redeem your finances by giving the very first 10% to the church. Because if you don't, well, then the destroyer is going to destroy your, your, your resources. This is the same guy who preached that sermon where he said that God called Adam and Eve into existence and made them speaking spirits. Same theology as um, Jesse Duplantis. So, why didn't God, the Holy Spirit, give a prompting to Bill Hybels saying, don't be preaching there, that church is run, is the pastor there is a heretic. Beware, you, you, you don't need to make, have those folks make a decision to receive whispers. They got, we got a bigger fish to fry. We need to bring them to repentance of their false doctrine and to be forgiven for the heresies that they're believing because they, they're not believing rightly about me. But see, God, the Holy Spirit, didn't seem to have any time to prompt Bill Hybels regarding any of that. Which leads me to conclude, the whispers he's getting are not from God. They're from the other team. And they point us away from Christ. This is the same way that Patricia King and Joshua Mills earlier in the program completely pointed us away from Jesus Christ 
by talking about their ridiculous atmospheres. I'm beginning to think that um, these whispers have about as much biblical backing behind them as, well, Joshua Mills's claims about the ability to create and unpack and port around different flavored atmospheres. What gets lost in all of this? Sound biblical doctrine. Clear preaching from God's word that focuses us on Christ and what he's done for us and calls sinners to repent of their sins and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what got sacrificed for this sermon that Bill Hybels preached at the church of heretic Robert Morris. Strange, isn't it? Just flat out doesn't make any biblical sense at all. So we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on one of them and thank you for your support. You can also make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. You can email me, look me up on Twitter or Facebook. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>